don't hire a darty. He'll ask you leading questions and then ignore you. You're listening to Return to Gilead, a fan podcast for Down Gilead Lane by two new but familial <laughs> fans of the show. <laughs> I'm Ryan Matlock. And I'm Michael LaFaver. And you're listening to part three of our season three finale review of Down Gilead Lane, episode 41 on our return to Gilead. We may not sit around holding hands and singing songs like you all do. I, I may not be a warm and fuzzy father, but we are a family. We're a family. And thanks to you and Grace and all that holy talk you do, I'm losing my daughter. Don't you people have enough kids without taking one of mine? She's my baby girl, John. Yeah, yeah, she is. So a tidbit on Rodney Tesla, who plays Tom Richter, he wasn't cast until his appearance in season two because interesting Beth Culp wanted to find the perfect person to play him. And I think think she did because I, did, those, I do too those lines right there he goes from angry raging to almost crying broken and sad yeah yes yes his line about we're family we're family and he repeats it you can hear the breaking in his voice and john right there john is willing to take it to the mat on this to say hey you you shouldn't do this stop this i can't stand by and watch you do this to your family and he knows that Tom is going to react this way, and he's ready for all the abuse that Tom levels at him. And he gets to the point, like I think, Tom, I think John knows what's going to happen here. And when Tom breaks down and reveal and sort of starts to reveal, because right after this line, John says, "Now, don't you see what you're talking about? It's your family. You value your family, and you're doing this for your daughter. And don't you see that doing this is just going to drive a wedge between you?" From those lines, their chemistry is great. Their interaction is great. You can see John's wisdom. And even though he hasn't necessarily been through these crazy experiences that Tom has, that's leading him to this point, he's had a lot of time to practice and to build good ethics and good morals. But Tom hasn't necessarily. And so he's bordering on hysterics with this. And when he finally breaks down, John knows exactly what to say. And I love that writing. I love the interaction. It's a great scene. It's really good. Yeah, I agree. And kind of going back to the previous question of why doesn't Grace reveal it? Well, there are three people who know, Grace, Mary, and John, and John knows, and John isn't hesitant to go to Tom and say, hey, Tom, I know what's going on. So like, drop the act. Right. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And from an audience standpoint, like we don't know. I'm glad that they, they, he doesn't say, hey, I know that you were bleep, bleep in the bleep. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's like, hey, I knew you were. And then the coffee maker turns on or something. <laughs> the friend turns back and he says, mm. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> but in this scene, it, I think this deserves to be the penultimate scene of the finale episode of the season because of the emotions, because of the theme, because we're finally getting this conversation between John and Tom. I, I It's just it's just great. It's just perfect. It is. Yes. So the acting to the, the writing, all of it is just mwah. so good. Well, going back through these three episodes, can I just list little random things here and there that I thought stood out to me? Only if I get to go first. Yeah, go first, please. You said fresh coffee, not fresh creamer. What? Apparently this diner just has old creamer stored in the back just for the worst of customers. 
This waitress who's played by one of the Heckman girls, actually, which is why she sounds so similar to Brooke. Oh. This waitress just has it out for Tom. <laughs> he orders fresh coffee, and then it, you can hear it just like plop, plop into his coffee. He goes, waitress. It's such a <laughs> random line. And that's part of why I thought the writing wasn't so great in the final episode was because it's just so random. Where does that come from? Right. Yeah. I don't get and it. I think I, I feel like I want to just craft a canon theory about this because he says the service here is awful. Last time I had what, what, what was it? Stale coffee? Cold coffee? I don't remember what he says. Something. It was like his coffee wasn't that good last time. And so that's why he's asking for it fresh this time. And now the waitress intentionally brings something that is just terrible to him in the form of creamer. My theory is that this waitress at some point overheard something that the more that the Richters were talking about and put the pieces together about the evil that they've been <laughs> sowing in the town. And now she, her, her name is not grace. Hers, hers is actually, her name is revenge. And, <laughs> Uh, so or or like sabotage or something, and so Miss <laughs> Sabotage over here. I'm uh, She puts such a emphasis. She she doesn't put an emphasis on grace. She puts an emphasis on sabotage to solve her <laughs> problems, and so she's just constantly serving terrible food to him as her way of sowing punishment for his evil deeds. Lori, can we get an alternate script where we explore the backstory of this? Um, Lori Twitchell, if you're listening, write this, please. No, <laughs> we can write it. Ryan, alternate, you can alternate write sabotage timeline. No, I'm not gonna do that. But no. like that is sort of what it sounds like. <laughs> so something else from the first episode was when Caleb is showing Lana around, and he's he's being really really nice toward Maya. I actually don't mind that, Caleb. Yeah, he's he's okay. It makes sense. He's trying to impress the exchange student, the uh, the pretty exchange student, actually. Um, where <laughs> the, in that first scene, I, I <laughs> there were two lines where I kind of burst out laughing when I was listening, and one is when Luke says to her, "I hope you enjoy your stay." I sound like I'm on a cruise ship, and then Becca says, "Well, that's what a pretty girl will do to you, huh?" <laughs> he's like, "What? What are you talking about?" He maybe he gets it, maybe he doesn't. Like maybe he realizes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's that's what was going on. But then right. later on, the, the other line was when Caleb is doing whatever he can to get on her good side. And he says, uh, can I get you anything to drink? And Luke pipes up, oh, some punch would be nice. I think is what he says, <laughs> like, right? I, I meant for the ladies. <laughs> get your own punch, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> There's another example of John Morrison snark in that episode where they see Grace leave the church and Maya's not there at church and he says they're going to sit up front. <laughs> the kids say the front. He says, yes, you can learn all sorts of good things up there. <laughs> Come, <laughs> Come to <on>. the front. <laughs> hey, that's a great reference. Excellent job. Thank you. If you understood that reference. Uh, leave a voice message. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But um, then in the second episode with the Fanny Crosby parallels that started at the beginning of the episode and then went to one of the final scenes of it, I thought that was uh-huh. really, really well worked in. Especially because Grace says that she's been compared to Fanny Crosby before. And it makes sense. Yeah, and I like John Campbell's music. I think he parodies or he uses the hymns in some of the soundtrack for the episode, some of the score. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, that's that's great I, in that the first musical bit is that. And then I think there's some under when she's talking about the hymn Saved by Grace when she quotes the lyrics of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was. I thought that was really, really great. And speaking of music, uh, back in the 
Cosmic Confusion episode, the music behind the clip of the day that we shared way back then. Oh, I, I didn't even get to say that. I love that music. Yeah, you were going to say that. Go for it. Right, right. So that's the closest thing we get to a leitmotif in almost all of Gilead. So in Down Gilead Lane, or in John Campbell's music, John Campbell is deathly afraid of leitmotifs. He never uses Why? them, except this, I don't know, but he never uses them, except, yeah, he just doesn't use them except for the main theme of the series. So like in Odyssey, there are no ditties on that, on that show of John Campbell's music where the music theme is recognizable other than da da dee dee da 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 that's literally it am i right right like well so there's a little there's like one place i can think of and it's in well it's not john campbell though it's like newer uh, who was it Jared de pasquale was it luke who are you talking about i'm talking about the episode where wit talks about tom and they play that music. yeah so that's aaron fullen and he he used the recollections theme right um right and, but so even it's then sort here, of like a, a leitmotif but not really here's the thing the the leitmotif that's is it leitmotif or leitmotif i don't know how to pronounce it i am going to look that up oh it is leitmotif leitmotif okay yay okay so the the leitmotif there is actually a lead-in to the odyssey theme in that episode yeah so using odyssey as an example in this series if you listen to john campbell he will you can't think of a, a sequence of notes that you can associate with anything other than Gilead. Right. There's just the da 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 the theme. That's that's it. But the closest thing we get to Lana's leitmotif. The sad thing is that his music is really good, and if whenever she appeared in the episode, we got that little melody in the background, that would be perfect. But unfortunately, we don't get that we only get that melody right there in that one scene and then it never comes up again so so you're saying that like this tune is distinct from gilead and so it could be a leitmotif but it doesn't get used as a motif (laughs) yeah my my thing is that there are there are plenty of of musical scores and what is it either transitions or musical underscore that aren't necessarily used as themes per se but they definitely are in the context of the episode because she's describing her backstory. It's a very different style of music. It's under an important piece of dialogue from her. It's something that I would think of her if I heard it, but it's only used here. Right. So it's technically a leitmotif. Right. But it's only used once. So. Right. It's not used to the extent that makes leitmotifs uh, artful. Right. Or makes them actually meaningful. So that's that's my one criticism about John Campbell is that while he's great and he really knows what he's doing, he just won't use leitmotifs, and that's sad. I can partially understand why. I don't know how closely John Campbell is tied to the creative process of writing these stories, but to do leitmotifs appropriately, here's an example. For the audience that doesn't know what a leitmotif is, uh, (laughs) it's generally like a tune that's in a piece of, in a piece that is distinctive and recognizable that gets used over and over in similar contexts. And you can use that to explore different ideas with music. The beauty in leitmotifs is that you are able to communicate ideas that you introduced in the beginning of something 
later in a different context that gives it more meaning. So like maybe in the beginning, a tune is meant to show that someone is happy. Okay. And then in the end of the musical, for example, when all of the stuff has come crumbling down, but then the person starts singing that same tune again, you're able to understand, okay, somehow they have peace and they're happy about how things turned out, even though they had a bunch of turmoil because they sang that same tune that they sang at the beginning when they were happy. Example, um, Masquerade from uh, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Unfortunately, if John Campbell isn't integrated with the storytelling process, he can't come up with, okay, I want a leitmotif for this idea or that idea. Because he doesn't know where the writing is going to go. And for all he knows, that they're going to like run into issues and change writers. And he just created this leitmotif that is meant to communicate ideas of like grace and truth or something <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. And then it doesn't even end with that kind of resolution four seasons later. I mean, Jared, that happened to Jared, unfortunately, on Odyssey. But, you know. No! Anyway, but yeah, so all that, all that to say... It'd be nice if he incorporated them a little bit more, but the Gilead theme serves as a nice pseudo leitmotif or like it, it is a leitmotif, but yes, it, it, it works. It works fine. You want to talk about how Mary is terrible at bocce ball? I would like to talk about how Mary is terrible at bocce ball. I, I, this, re- this review is already running long, so we'll make this short, but poor Mary. <laughs> she, she throws the ball to try to hit the bocce. And do you know how bocce ball is played? I think it's like croquet, but you throw the balls. Well, you have a little sort little of. white ball, which is the bocce ball. You throw that, and then you have two other weighted balls that you have to throw at the bocce and get them as close to it as you can. Without touching or with, with touching? With touching. Preferably with okay. touching. It's just hard. And so Mary throws one of the balls, and Timmy says, Mom, the bocce's not behind you. And this is where I have written in my notes, these are the three best actors in the series. It's so good. Yes. <laughs> uh, just imagine uh, Mary throws the ball. But she lets go, and it goes behind her, and all the me's jump in, jump up in the air. If you've ever played Wii Bowling, you know what you know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I play that game and just throw the ball behind me, right? just just for that. When I can, re- I still remember the first time I was playing that game with my brother, and we accidentally did it, and all the me's jumped up in the air, and it was so funny that we—that's all we did for like the next hour was took turns <laughs> throwing the ball behind us. So, <laughs> so then Haley and Justin and Michael show up from the Bible study, and John has a throwaway line where he says to Haley, "Are those the wrong clothes for bocce ball?" And she says, oh, "I'll have to change first. That's funny because that doesn't that tie into something earlier where she's talking about her clothes or no, that's later in Summer Camp Blues where she's trying where she doesn't want to get her clothes dirty playing the games. I thought I thought he said, do you want to join us? And she said, I'll have to change first. No, I thought it was. Do you want to join us or are those the wrong clothes for bocce ball? Oh, I didn't hear that in my version. It was just so fast. I didn't notice it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was an ad lib. I mean, the way he says it was that an ad lib. That kind of sounds like like when he goes. Write that down. When Mary says, different doesn't equal bad, it sounds like something that uh, Roger Mueller would ad-lib. So That's funny. It's great. No, he's, he's a great actor. Uh, but also, I feel bad that Maya keeps getting hit with the door when she's trying to tie her shoes in the later scene in that episode. <laughs> That's the real reason that in the end, uh, the, the, the Richters were just like, you know... We were going to bring this case, but Maya is just so bruised. We'd get taken to Child Protective <laughs> Services. <laughs> because Mr. Darty, you know, he's voiced by Steve O'Dell, I think. I'm pretty sure. 
in his oh is he that's fun absolute attitude he'd bring up now isn't it true that in the process your parents have had to hit you in with <laughs> hit you with this door <laughs> while you're trying to tie your shoes because you've been trying to go spend time with the Morrisons what <laughs> no further questions you're fired <laughs> and he also talks about reading from mystical texts and stuff when he's trying to ask her questions, and she's like, that's not fair. What are you talking about? Yeah, I think the moment your lawyer says the word mystical, you need to fire him. <laughs> uh, that was the haiku for this episode, which you actually didn't get to hear, but you will be hearing Sniff. soon. You'll have to record Sadness. that. Sadness. <laughs> anyway, all in all, these three episodes, I think you've you've helped kind of convince me that they're a little bit better than I thought they were in the way the messages are presented and the way the writing ties in. They are nuanced. And I appreciate that nuance because, yeah, like I said earlier, I think these make a much better finale than the second season, even the first season. But I'm loving almost all the episodes of Gilead so far. This series continues to be absolutely fantastic. One thing I definitely think this season has running for it that the others didn't. The other seasons, they seem to kind of leave us off with a with more questions than answers where it's sort of like we did all this legwork to try to figure out what's going on. And it was kind of all for nothing, everyone's going to be cagey about stuff. In this one, we at least get the conversation with John and Tom that it gives us some idea of maybe what's going on, or at least a a fraction of it. And meanwhile, no one is telling us, sorry, that's all you're allowed to know for now. We get resolution everywhere else. In fact, the only thing we don't get resolution to is the room situation between the Morrison kids. (laughs) Right, which I didn't really care that much about to begin with. Right, but no it's... one cares, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, all around, I, I enjoyed this finale. Why don't we go ahead and go to the raps on this huge three-part finale? You're good. I love raps. All right. Okay, well, I'm sorry I don't have any actual raps to give you, Ryan, but how, as far as the raps of the podcast go... Do you? This has I been. I haven't eaten dinner, and you lied about the wraps. <laughs> no, it's okay. Let's go. <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and just close on? How can people get in touch with us? Well, they can go to returntogilead.com now. Ayo! Oh, just right. Yeah, that's not up yet. We might not. Right. I mean, as far as <laughs> it's as coming. of this recording, it's it's not technically up. So for now, keep going to anchor.fm slash return to Gilead. <laughs> uh, and more information hopefully will be available later on that. Um, so yeah, how if we you just don't want to say that, we can we can not. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's that's fine. Why don't we just why don't we just close on that? Sure. Yeah, you can go to anchor.fm or our link tree, which is linktree.linktra.ee slash return to Gilead, and you can find all the necessary links to anything that you might want. Or if it's not there, then you should leave a voice message and let us know, hey, why don't you have a link to Google itself? Why don't you have a link to a recipe for peas and cheese? So You need more up there. Anyway, the next episode that we're going to be reviewing <laughs> is episode 42, Summer Camp Blues by Sarah Osinski, her first episode. And it'll be a really fun time. Until then, I'm Michael. I'm Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time as we cover the special episodes after season three on our return to Gilead. <laughs>